This episode is brought to you by our sponsors, Hazmat Advanced Training Solutions, a company offering the highest quality of hazmat training, especially PPE, donning, and doffing for biological emergencies. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Hazmatician Chronicles. This is going to be a update on the coronavirus. This is our first one. Uh, we've just been sitting back kind of watching, monitoring, listening to what the government recommends, what my agency has been having us do PPE-wise and response-wise. And I'm here to kind of share a few things that I've picked up, what I've been doing personally, what my family's been doing, and just things that I've read and firsthand spoke to people that have come in contact with uh, coronavirus patients or suspected coronavirus patients. So let's start off with, obviously this virus is new. It's why they call it a novel virus. And with that said, we are still playing catch up on what it does. The, it's highly virulent. So that that's not a good sign. That means it's highly contagious. Uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine who's a PA and I was asking him, why is this so highly contagious? And he described it as, Corona, he says Corona means crown. So on the outside of that virus cell, there's all those little like, just think of like a, a royalty crown with all the jaggedness on it. Okay. Well, that, those jagged hills and valleys on that virus itself latch onto our healthy body cell and then it injects itself into the healthy cell to put its RNA in there to begin the replication process. At that point, that normally healthy body cell in us is now considered a foreign invader to our body's immune system. And then our immune system comes out, kills the body cell, and then when it pops it open, all that new replicated virus go out and then do the whole process over. So it's a very intense cyclical kind of process with this. So my next question to my PA buddy was, why does this virus go into such a respiratory compromise type situation for certain people? And his answer was, well, once the virus gets a foothold in your upper airway, and begins to get its process going, it damages the cilia, which we all know is in our, our airway, to catch things from the outside, and we have the mucous membrane on the cilia, and it's there to, as a defense mechanism, to catch things so we can either cough it out, sneeze it out, things like that to prevent it from getting into our airway. So basically, this virus will prevent that cilia from working as effective as it normally does, and therefore, the mucous membrane isn't working as well either in that cilia. That Therefore, the virus can bypass that get into the lungs, and he was describing it that the virus begins to create a fibrous type situation in our lungs, which allows opportunistic infections such as pneumonia to get a foothold in the lungs. That's why a lot of people that are immunocompromised or are elderly or have other comorbidities health-wise are affected by this. He was saying that it's not so much the virus killing you, it's the virus preventing the defense mechanisms in our airway and our lungs from doing their job and opportunistic infections from taking over, which again, pneumonia is a big one for it. So it was um, a bit eye-opening for that. So that's what's going on with the coronavirus when it gets into the part of being a very, very life-threatening respiratory problem as well. With that said, that's why everybody is very concerned with it. And that's why the social distancing, quarantining yourself, just isolating yourself from people that may have it or may not have it or large populations where a lot of test results have come back positive where people do have it. So that's the key here is to kind of isolate yourself, obviously. Going back to what the virus is doing, because it is replicating so quickly, that's the problem here. Our immune system is having trouble playing catch up. And 
And that's why, obviously, there's no vaccine for it. There's no true treatment other than supportive care from what I've been seeing. They say either after a few days of having it, you either begin to get better, be on the mend, or you start to go down the path of becoming a critical patient where you might have to go on a vent, go into the hospital, ICU, that kind of thing. It's very disconcerting to hear that, how quickly it spreads and how highly contagious. I also was told that it is 100 times more contagious than the flu because of immediate and and high replication process of the virus itself. So that's why it's so highly contagious. And what I'm going to go over is the PPE aspect of it. And there's a lot of things that are coming out from the CDC with the PPE and other industry experts on PPE as well. I've been dealing with decon training and PPE donning and doffing for 10 years now. I'm going to share with you my opinion on some things and what I've been doing when I respond to these calls. Another thing too is if your response area and whether you have one case or you have hundreds of cases, then if your dispatch is not having any kind of screening process, which I would think most dispatch centers are now because of just the increased spread of this virus. If not though, that's something you might want to bring up through your chain of command to kind of get something going with that. So you have an idea of what you're walking into if you're getting called out to a patient with flu-like symptoms. And it could be coincidental. They could actually have the flu. The flu is still out there too. Everything else in the world doesn't start and stop at the convenience because of this virus is taking a hold. Okay. That's the forefront of what's going on, obviously, but people still need to be taken to the hospital for chest pain, for heart attacks, for strokes. That stuff's still going on. That's why a lot of times the hospitals are saying, if you are not experiencing any life-threatening symptoms, shortness of breath, chest pain from having the coronavirus, then stay at home and self-isolate. Only call 911 or go to the hospital if you are experiencing life-threatening critical symptoms because they can't have a bed taken by you because you have a sore throat and a runny nose, but that's your only symptom. Then you're taking a bed from somebody who's going to be coming in possibly having a heart attack, a seizure, you know, a very severe emergency. Just keep that in mind. But again, going back to the dispatch thing, if you are, your area doesn't have any kind of like protocol for it, then something to bring up. Okay. A good screening process. And at that point, if you're going to that call, then you can kind of start getting the wheels turning in your mind of what PPE do I have to have on? What level of respiratory protection do I have to have on? The big thing is the N95s. Okay. The N95s are all on back order. Uh, I guess a few places are actually getting enough out now, so they're they're starting to release them. So the supply is coming up, which is good. The disinfectant is also getting released more, and the gloves and, and the gowns and whatnot. But I liken this to back in the day when Ebola happened. Ebola, basically, I mean, it was a couple incidents where people came over from the countries in Africa that were having the Ebola outbreak, and then they brought it here. So it wasn't like a mass pandemic. It was just, okay, it was an Ebola scare. So everybody was like, wow. We don't really have the necessary PPE to take care of this. So that's when a lot of big training came out. We were involved in a lot of training down here in Florida with going to hospitals and different counties and all that, teaching them how to properly don and doff the PPE they had. Now, the CDC initially recommended a splash guard and N95 and one of those really kind of chintzy little plastic gowns. So my co-instructor, him and I did a test where I donned all that what the CDC recommended. And then he just took like a cup of water and threw it at me. And the cross-contamination was unbelievable. It hit the gown, it splashed up onto my neck and my chin, even though I had a mask on, it tripped down the inside of the gown, soaked my shirt, my arms, my shoulders. So the gown, if somebody has projectile vomiting or spitting or coughing, it's, it just shows that that 
yeah, it's some form of protection. If that's all you have, that's all you have. You got to use what you have on your truck or at your healthcare facility. But the main thing is that was eye-opening. And my buddy and I, who I've been teaching with for many years, we were like, no, we're not doing that. We're not following the CDC recommendation. We are going to take it a step higher and have a recommendation from us as instructors with hazmat of hooded coveralls, taped gloves, if you have that, or depending on the suit you have at your facility or on your uh, department where everything's kind of already built in, not a level A, but more of like a level C. And we recommend an APR with a P100 filter. If you have an SCBA mask, if you are a nurse or a doctor or anybody dealing with anybody at the hospital, then we recommended the hooded coveralls as well, taped gloves. And we just recommended a splash guard with an N95 and goggles on. So because that's all you had in the hospital kind of setting, but fire rescue, we have a little bit more, you know, respiratory protection because of the SCBA mask and whatnot. So we recommended that. And then we also had like a whole thing we recommended of a doffing area where you will be decon sprayed from head to toe with 10% bleach solution because we're dealing with a biological agent at this point. And a 10% bleach solution is, is going to kill everything. And then we would just have the person sit there for 10 minutes of strip drying. And then we would begin the doffing process. The one thing is if you have an APR on, an air purifying respirator or a PAPR, powered air purifying respirator, do not spray the bleach solution directly at those canister filters, those P100s, because we're being told because of such a shortage now, we have to reuse them. And we can reuse the P100 canisters to the point of where it's, uh, where you're going to start having some trouble breathing, basically, because it's so filled up, because you've used it multiple times. The other thing, too, is with the N95, we are having it where just to kind of ration them because of the shortage, up to eight hours, okay? Not, and it's intermittent. We have to mark what we're doing with the eight hours and, and, and how long we wore it and stuff like that, as long as they don't get grossly contaminated. If they get grossly contaminated, then we throw it away, we get a new one. But if it's not, and it's a suspected COVID-19 patient or it's a confirmed one, as long as we're not getting grossly contaminated and we prop, follow proper decon and doffing of our PPE, then we can reuse our N95. That's the recommendation from the CDC. If you're following the 10% bleach solution for the decon and somebody who has the hooded coveralls, so their whole body's covered, avoid spraying, obviously, the face and if, where the N95 mask might be on. Two, if they're wearing an APR, avoid spraying directly the P100 canister, okay? You can wipe that down with a disinfectant. We don't want you to spray it directly, the N95 mask, if you have to reuse it, for example, or the P100, because it'll begin to break down the filtering paper inside, and then it's pretty much pointless to even wear it at that point. So we just want to make you aware of that and make sure that you're being careful. The other thing too is disinfectants. Just say you don't have a 10% bleach solution, but you have something, you know, that's a commercial grade disinfectant. The one thing you got to be aware of is make sure that it is a tuberculocidal. If it is a tuberculocidal, that will kill everything on the surface. All right. Because tuberculosis is a very robust pathogen that can survive for a while on a surface. So if it can kill that, then It'll kill everything on your, your PPE if you're doing your proper decon. The other thing, too, is be familiar with whatever disinfectant you're using, your kill times. So I said during the 10% bleed solution for using that, 10 minutes. Just let the person drip dry for 10 minutes after you spray them from head to toe. Remember, focus on the hands and the feet. Why? Because they're touching and handling the patient, the equipment. They're doing all that. And they're also walking in to the patient's room or house or wherever they might be positive for COVID-19. So you want to focus on the hands and the feet mainly. All right. But obviously you're going to be spraying for head, head to toe. The kill times are very important on your disinfectants. That is a key to understand of just wiping obvious 
dirt off a surface or actually letting it disinfect. Okay, so that just remember that there's two different definitions. Cleaning is just wiping obvious signs of dirt. Disinfecting is letting that chemical that you're using kill any pathogens or microbes on the surface to make it clean. So just be aware of that. Every manufacturer has different kill times for the disinfectant. The other thing too is with certain PPE and how we're kind of operating and in the area I work is we're trying to limit the amount of crew members getting exposed. So we're doing, unless it's like a critical patient, a cardiac arrest or something like that, we're just limiting it to one crew member in full PPE going in and making contact and getting the patient out. Or we're trying to recommend to, if we go to a household or any kind of nursing facility, that the nursing staff or other family members bring the patient out to the driveway, the parking lot, whatever, just so we don't have to enter a building where there's possible COVID-19 patients. So, and that's mainly in like your larger communities, your, your gated communities or your, your elderly communities, 55 and older, that can be an issue. So we're, we're trying to limit the exposure. Now, obviously, if we have a critical patient and we have to do invasive procedures, then obviously it's all hands on deck, but we're going to try to limit as many people involved with that too. So that's how we're uh, operating it. And the other thing too, is we want to make sure that you're double gloving. So my hazmat nerds out there, you know that the outer layer is your dirty layer. That's what's going to be doing all the interventions, the patient care, the cleaning of equipment. And then when you begin to get ready to decon, then we spray from head to toe. And then we remove our outer layer of gloves. So then we're left with our inner layer, which is our clean layer, which is what we're going to take our respirator off. And that is the last step, obviously, when you're doffing equipment is your respirator, whether it's your APR you're taking off or your N95 mask. But that's the last step, okay? Because you want to keep all that on. Because the problem is, even though you're deconned, just say that you, you the person deconning and spraying you down just missed a couple spots on you. And it's, it's you know, human error. It happens, okay? But just say that happens. And the, the where the cross-contamination is going to occur is when you're doffing your equipment, if you weren't properly deconned or deconned at all. Some places don't have the luxury of having all this disinfectant and PPE in a, in a doffing area. So just, again, uh, reiterating that you want to make sure that you do from head to toe focus on the hands, get all the armpits, back of the knees, everywhere, whoever you're deconning. And then the person doffing you, and we call that your shepherd. They're the ones that are going to put your help you put your equipment on when you're donning before you go into the uh, environment. And then they're going to be the ones that are going to help you doff your equipment safely. All right. So we just call them a shepherd. All right. If your shepherd is not having a good day, for example, and they're not taking it seriously, or you're limited on equipment and, and disinfectant, that's how it is. But do the best you can. But again, that's where the cross-contamination, if any, will occur is during doffing if you're not properly deconned. This is one situation where it's probably going to get worse before it gets better, obviously, just like any kind of situation. But the more people that are not heeding the warning of the government by self-isolating, self-quarantining, avoiding large gatherings and whatnot, you need to because, yes, I know we're a very transient culture and society, but we still have to follow the government's recommendation on this because this is going to hopefully maybe straighten that curve out that they, they keep speaking of with, you know, the increase of infections. And the other thing too is if you are high risk and just because you're a first responder or a nurse or whatnot, the other thing too is you want to make sure that you are self-quarantining, isolating, especially if you have any comorbidities such as heart disease, lung problems, cancer because you're immunosuppressed, if you're diabetic, things like that is something that can increase the the critical part of this disease if it does get if it does uh, if you do contract it. So that's one thing just to kind of heed the warning again. 
I get we do have to go to the grocery store. I know we have to fuel up our vehicles, but take the proper precautions. If you have gloves, wear them, but don't touch your face. I saw somebody the other day at the gas station that was wearing gloves. They did everything right. And the same pair of gloves that they touched the, the fuel pump and all that and the door handles going into pay, what'd they do? They rubbed their eye. I was like, well, everything they did was just pointless at that avenue of things because they had already cross-contaminated themselves. Up until that point, I had I had some faith that they were going to be okay. And then they did that. And I was like, nope, it all went out the window at that point. So again, you got to catch yourself from touching your face, your mouth. The other thing too is not only are first responders and people in healthcare at higher risk because we're dealing with these patients, but people that are in large populated areas where you have a lot of confirmed COVID or suspected COVID cases, that's going to increase your chance to, especially if you're not heeding the warning of staying inside. All right. And that's one thing. It's it's a tough situation. I mean, we're, we're beginning homeschooling here for our kids soon. And I know most of the country is, and it's going to be a test of if we can handle it and my hat's off to teachers. And I'm sure a lot of people are probably nodding your head like, yep, that's, that's the truth. The other thing too, is with what I'm doing and my wife are doing, cause she works in healthcare is we are, we set up like a little like doffing area in our garage. So whoever's home, we'll open the garage door. We have a clean set of clothes out. We have disinfectant wipes and we have a hand sanitizer on this little table. I set up this little foldable table and we have a bucket where we're going to dump off the shoes and spray them down with Lysol and whatnot to let them soak there. The other thing too is the buckets for the clothes, which go right into the wash. And then we hand sanitize and then we enter the house through the garage and then we go shower and then put the clean clothes on. So that's kind of what we're doing to keep it as best out of our house, wiping down any knobs, any surfaces that we touch between the garage and the main house where the family is. So we're trying to take precautions. So if you're not doing that, that might be an idea, something to consider and just have like a little decon doffing area in your garage or something or on the side of your house if you don't have a garage. Just trying to do everything we can to prevent the spread of this, especially when you are high risk as a first responder or a healthcare worker. And my hat's off to the nurses that are being told that they get one surgical mask and if they're dealing with any kind of patient they get one N95 that uh, they have to reuse it constantly and put it in their pocket or wherever it's the thought of that is scary as heck to me it's I get we have a shortage we have to ration things but come on nurses are dealing with the patients that EMS drop off the buck stops at the hospital that's the problem and the nurses are not having the tools they need nationwide probably worldwide all right so it's just again be cognizant of what you're doing be cautious be safe out there know your ppe practice donning and doffing with your crew at the fire station or if you're on a hazmat team with your hazmat crew don't take anything for granted if they if you even suspect that they could be having flu-like symptoms or anything like that related one or two symptoms or no symptoms from coronavirus but yet you have multiple ones in that area that you respond to gown up put ppe on whatever you want Okay. Now, what I was saying before about Ebola and when we were recommending hooded coveralls, tape gloves, all that with APR N95 and splash guard, people will look at me like, wow, that's really overkill for the coronavirus. Well, I posted this the other night. I put it to you this way. They say, statistically speaking, one out of every thousand people die from the flu. And then it adds up, obviously, for our country and then worldwide. And that's the final number you get for the fatal deaths of flu victims. But they say with the coronavirus, it's 10 people per 1,000 people. That percentage increase is super high. So I'll tell you what, I'll take the overkill with the amount of PPE that I want to wear. Because at the end of the day, you need to feel, did I do everything I could to protect myself, clean myself after, launder my clothes? Do, do I feel comfortable to the point of being able to say, I did what I had to do. And I feel, I feel good. 
feel comfortable, I feel positive about being protected. If you say yes to all that, then you're good. But if there's that one moment where you're like, ah, I could have done something better with the PP, I could have done that, should have done that, then you see what I'm getting at here? So if you feel that it's overkill, what I just described, that's fine. But I don't feel that it's overkill. We should be suiting up and, at and treating this like Ebola in a way, because if it's that contagious, heck yeah, I want to make sure I'm fully um, covered up and safe. The other thing too is make sure that you're filing. The other thing too is make sure you're filing your proper exposure paperwork, workers comp, whatever your department has, whatever your city has, whatever your county, state, doesn't matter, whatever your agency does. Because at the end of the day, if anything comes back that a patient you dealt with or a group of people you dealt with that you responded to come back positive, then you want to make sure that your paperwork was documented. All right. As long as you have your PPE on, they're saying that that's not a significant exposure. It's that one where you go into the call where it's not flu-like symptoms. Next thing you know, it comes back positive. It's just a run-of-the-mill medical call. And then it comes back that they're positive, even though they didn't have any symptoms. And a lot of people they're saying either have very mild symptoms, no symptoms, or they go right into the severe critical symptoms that are life-threatening. So just keep that in mind. I mean, there's a lot of information on the CDC website, even though the uh, CDC website is a great reference with what's going on. I caution you with the recommendations with their PPE, because I guess somebody was telling me the other day that one of the recommendations because of the shortage of PPE out there, especially respirators for healthcare workers and first responders, is they recommend just wrap a cloth or a bandana around your face. So you take that how you want, but to me, that means that they're grasping for straws, trying to, I guess, put everybody at ease as best they can. But let's be honest here. That's not going to stop any of this stuff from getting in, okay? So N95s, P100s, that's what you need. So I just wanted to kind of give an update on that. And again, as we find more information out on this, we'll probably do another update constantly with the COVID-19. We also put out there on our Facebook page and our sponsor's Facebook page, Hazmat Advanced Training Solutions. We put out there, if you have any information you want to write into us on Facebook, on the Fire Department University Facebook or our Hazmat and Advanced Training Solutions Facebook page, absolutely write into us. Let us know what you're doing. Because we want to put together something that we can kind of learn from. We want to open up the communications here. And we want to just have, we want to be a reference as well for, you know, something that your agency is doing, something that's going on in your community or your state, right into us. And if at some point, if it's really, really pertinent to getting the information out, we would love to do interviews with various people from different agencies, different parts of the COVID-19 response, whether it's fire rescue to health department people to state representatives we want to hear from you so please write into us and i can either read it on a next update or we can get you on here for an interview and then again we're going to build information that we can hopefully put together like an after action report if you will and see what worked what didn't work how we can kind of retool reformat our response our ppe guidelines for this kind of thing and this is going to be a lot of information is going to come out for if another pandemic like this happens a worse pandemic for example one that's highly, highly fatal compared to this one. That could be in the future as well. So we want to hear from you. Please, please write into us. Message us on Facebook with whatever comments you have. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, I'm going to sign off on that note. And please be safe out there. And we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.